Chapter Twenty Two, Part Two of East Lynn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Magdalena Cook. East Lynn by Mrs. Henry Wood. Chapter Twenty Two, Part Two. Mrs. Hare's dream continued. Mr. Carlyle made no immediate reply. He picked up a ball belonging to one of the children which lay in his path, and began tossing it gently in his hand. "'It is a singular thing,' he observed presently, "'that we do not hear from Richard.' "'Oh, very, very, and I know Mamma distresses over it. A few words which you let fall this morning betrayed it plainly. "'I am no believer in dreams,' continued Barbara, "'but I cannot deny that these which take such a hold upon Mamma." do bear upon the case in a curious manner, the one she had last night especially. "'What was it?' asked Mr. Carlyle. "'She dreamed that the real murderer was at West Lynne. She thought he was at our house as a visitor,' she said, "'or like one making a morning call. And we, she and I, were conversing with him about the murder. He wanted to deny it, to put it on Richard.' and he turned and whispered to Otway Bethel, who stood behind his chair. "'This is another strange thing,' added Barbara, lifting her blue eyes in the deep earnestness to the face of Mr. Carlyle. "'What is strange? You speak in enigmas, Barbara.' "'I mean that Otway Bethel should invariably appear in her dreams. Until that stolen visit of Richard's, we had no idea he was near the spot at the time.' and yet he had always made a prominent feature in these dreams. "'And who was the murderer in your mamma's dream?' continued Mr. Carlyle, speaking as gravely as though he were upon a subject that men ridicule not. "'She cannot remember, except that he seemed a gentleman, and that we held intercourse with him as such. "'Now, that again is remarkable. "'We never told her, you know, of our suspicions of Captain Thorn.' "'I think you must be becoming a convert to the theory of dreams yourself, Barbara. "'You are so very earnest,' smiled Mr. Carlyle. "'No, not to dreams, but I am earnest for my dear brother Richard's sake. "'That Thorn does not appear in a hurry again to favour Westlin with his—' "'Mr. Carlyle paused, for Barbara had hurriedly laid her hand upon his arm with a warning gesture.' In talking they had wandered across the park to its ornamental grounds, and were now in a quiet path, overshadowed on the other side by a chain of imitation rocks. Seated astride on the summit of these rocks, right above where Mr. Carlyle and Barbara were standing, was Francis Levison. His face was turned from them, and he appeared intent upon a child's whip, winding leather around its handle. Whether he heard the footsteps or not, he did not turn. They quickened their pace and quitted the walk, bending their steps backward toward the group of ladies. "'Could he have heard what we were saying?' ejaculated Barbara below her breath. Mr. Carlyle looked down upon the concerned flushed cheeks with a smile. Barbara was so evidently perturbed. But for a certain episode of their lives, some years ago, he might have soothed her tenderly. "'I think he must have heard a little, Barbara.' "'Unless his wits were wool-gathering, he might not be attending. "'What if he did hear? It is of no consequence.' "'I was speaking, you know, of Captain Thorn, of his being the murderer.' 
"'You were not speaking of Richard or his movements, so never mind. "'Leveson is a stranger to the whole. It is nothing to him. "'If he did hear the name of Thorn mention, or even distinguish the subject, "'it would bear for him no interest. "'Would go, as the saying runs, in at one ear and out at the other. "'Be at rest, Barbara.' "'He really did look somewhat tenderly upon her as he spoke.' and they were near enough to Lady Isabel for her to note the glance. She need not have been jealous. It bore no treachery to her. But she did note it. She had noted also their wandering away together, and she jumped to the conclusion that it was premeditated, that they had gone beyond her sight to enjoy each other's society for a few stolen moments. Wonderfully attractive looked Barbara that evening, for Mr. Carlyle or anyone else to steal away with, her tasty, elegant, airy summer attire, her bright blue eyes, her charming features, and her damask cheeks. She had untied the strings of her pretty white bonnet, and was restlessly playing with them, more in thought than nervousness. "'Barbara, love, how are we to get home?' asked Mrs. Hare. "'I do fear I shall never walk it. I wish I had told Benjamin to bring the phaeton.' "'I can send to him,' said Mr. Carlyle. "'But it is too bad of me, Archibald, to take you and Lady Isabel by storm in this unceremonious manner, and to give your servants trouble besides.' "'A great deal too bad, I think,' returned Mr. Carlyle, with mock gravity. "'As to the servants, the one who has to go will never get over the trouble, depend upon it. "'You always were more concerned for others than for yourself, dear Mrs. Hare. "'And you were always kind, Archibald.' soothing difficulties for all, and making a trouble of nothing. Ah, Lady Isabel, were I a young woman, I should be envying you your good husband. There are not many like him. Possibly the sentence reminded Lady Isabel that another, who was young, might be envying her. For her cheeks, Isabel's, flushed crimson. Mr. Carlyle held out his strong arm of help to Mrs. Hare. If sufficiently rested, I fancy you would be more comfortable on a sofa indoors. Allow me to support you thither. And you can take my arm on the other side, cried Mrs. Carlyle, placing her tall form by Mrs. Hare. Between us both we will pull you bravely along. Your feet need scarcely touch the ground. Mrs. Hare laughed, but said she thought Mr. Carlyle's arm would be sufficient. She took it, and they were turning toward the house when her eye caught the form of a gentleman passing along the road by the park gate. "'Barbara, run!' she hurriedly exclaimed. "'There's Tom Herbert going toward our house, and he will just call in and tell them to send the phaeton if you ask him, which will save the trouble to Mr. Carlyle's servants of going expressly. Make haste, child. You will be up with him in half a minute.' Barbara, thus urged, set off on the spur of the moment toward the gates, before the rest of the party well knew what was being done. It was too late for Mr. Carlyle to stop her and repeat that the servant should go, for Barbara was already up with Mr. Tom Herbert. The latter had seen her running toward him and waited at the gate. "'Are you going past our house?' inquired Barbara, perceiving then that Otway Bethel also stood there, but just beyond the view of the women." "'Yes, why?' replied Tom Herbert, who was not famed for his politeness, being blunt by nature and fast by habit. "'Mamma would be so much obliged to you if you could just call in and leave word that Benjamin is to bring up the phaeton. Mamma walked here, intending to walk home, 
but she finds herself so fatigued as to be unequal to it. All right, I'll call and send him. What time? Nothing had been said to Barbara about the time, so she was at liberty to name her own. Ten o'clock. We shall be home then before Papa. That you will, responded Tom Herbert. He and the Governor and two or three more old codgers are blowing clouds till you can't see across the room, and they are sure to get at it after supper. I say, Miss Barbara, are you engaged for a few picnics? Good for a great many, returned Barbara. Our girls want to get up some in the next week or two. Jack's home, you know. Is he? said Barbara in surprise. We had a letter yesterday, and he came today. A brother officer with him. Jack vows if the girls don't cater well for them in the way of amusement, he'll never honour them by spending his leave at home again. So mind you keep yourself in readiness for any fun that may turn up. Good evening. Good evening, Miss Hare, added Otway Bethel. As Barbara was returning the salutation, she became conscious of other footsteps advancing from the same direction that they had come, and moved her head hastily round. Two gentlemen, walking arm in arm, were close upon her, in one of whom she recognised. Jack, otherwise Major Herbert. He stopped and held out his hand. It is some years since we met, but I have not forgotten the pretty face of Miss Barbara, he cried. A young girl's face it was then, but it is a stately young lady's now. Barbara laughed. Your brother has just told me you had arrived at West Lynn, but I did not know you were so close to me. He has been asking me if I am ready for some pic. Barbara's voice faltered, and the rushing crimson dyed her face. Whose face was that? Who was he, standing opposite to her, side by side with John Herbert? She had seen the face but once, yet it had implanted itself upon her memory in characters of fire. Major Herbert continued to talk. But Barbara for once lost her self-possession. She could not listen. She could only stare at that face as if fascinated to the gaze, looking herself something like a simpleton, her shy blue eyes anxious and restless, and her lips turning to an ashy whiteness. A strange feeling of wonder, a superstition was creeping over Barbara. Was that man behind her in sober, veritable reality? Or was it but a phantom called up in her mind by the associations rising from her mamma's dream, or by the conversation held not many moments ago with Mr. Carlyle? Major Herbert may have deemed that Barbara, who evidently could not attend to himself, but was attending to his companion, wished for an introduction, and he accordingly made it. Captain Thorn, Miss Hare. Then Barbara roused herself. Her senses were partially coming to her and she became alive to the fact that they must deem her behaviour unorthodox for a young lady. I, I looked at Captain Thorne, for I thought I remembered his face, she stammered. I was in West Lynn for a day or two, some five years ago, he observed. Ah, oh, yes, returned Barbara. Are you going to make a long stay now? We have several weeks' leave of absence. Whether we shall remain here all the time, I cannot say. Barbara parted from them. Thought upon thought crowded upon her brain as she flew back to East Lynn. She ran up the steps to the hall, gliding toward a group which stood near its further end. Her mother, Miss Carlyle, Mr. Carlyle, and little Isabel. Lady Isabel she did not see. Mrs. Hare was then going up to see Joyce. 
In the agitation of the moment, she stealthily touched Mr. Carlyle, and he stepped away from the rest to speak to her. She drew him back toward the door of one of the reception rooms, and motioning him to approach. "'Oh, Archibald, I must speak to you alone. Could you not come out again for a little while?' He nodded, and walked out openly by her side. Why should he not? What had he to conceal? But, unfortunately, Lady Isabel, who had but gone into that same room for a minute, and was coming out again to join Mrs. Hare, both saw Barbara's touch upon her husband's arm, marked her agitation, and heard her words. She went to one of the hall windows, and watched them saunter toward the more private part of the ground. She saw her husband send back Isabel. Never since her marriage had Lady Isabel's jealousy been excited as it was excited that evening. I, I feel I scarcely know whether I am awake or dreaming, began Barbara, putting up her hand to her brow and speaking in a dreamy tone. Pardon me for bringing you out in this unceremonious fashion. What state secrets have you to discuss? asked Mr. Carlyle in a jesting manner. We were speaking of Mamma's dream. She said the impression it had left upon her mind, that the murderer was in West Lynne, was so vivid that in spite of common sense she could not persuade herself that he was not. Well, just now. Barbara, what can be the matter? uttered Mr. Carlyle, perceiving that her agitation was so great as to impede her words. I have just seen him, she rejoined. Seen him? echoed Mr. Carlyle, looking at her fixedly a doubt crossing his mind whether Barbara's mind might be as uncollected as her manner. What were nearly my last words to you, that if ever that thorn did come to West Lynne again, I would leave no stone unturned to bring it home to him. Here he is, Archibald. Now, when I went to the gate to speak to Tom Herbert, his brother, Major Herbert, was also there, and with him Captain Thorn, Bethel also. Do you wonder I say that I know not whether I am awake or dreaming? They have some week's holiday, and are here to spend it. It is a singular coincidence, exclaimed Mr. Carlyle. Had anything been wanting to convince me that Thorn is the guilty man, this would have done it, went on Barbara in her excitement. Mamma's dream, with a steadfast impression it left upon her, that Hallie John's murderer was now at West Lynne. In turning the sharp corner of the covered walk, they came in contact with Captain Levison, who appeared to be either standing or sauntering there, his hands underneath his coat-tails. Again Barbara felt vexed, wondering how much he had heard, and beginning in her heart to dislike the man. He accosted them familiarly, and appeared as if he would have turned with them, but none could put down presumption more effectually than Mr. Carlyle, calm and gentlemanly though he always was. "'I will join you presently, Captain Levison,' he said with a wave of the hand, and he turned back with Barbara toward the open parts of the park. "'Do you like that Captain Levison?' she abruptly inquired, when they were beyond hearing. "'I cannot say I do,' was Mr. Carlyle's reply. "'He is one who does not improve upon acquaintance. "'To me it looks as though he had placed himself in our way to hear what we were saying. "'No, no, Barbara. What interest could it bear for him?' Barbara did not contest the point. She turned to the one nearer at heart. What must be our course with regard to Thorn? It is more than I can tell you, replied Mr. Carlyle, 
I cannot go up to the man and unceremoniously accuse him of being Hallie John's murderer. They took their way to the house, for there was nothing further to discuss. Captain Levison entered it before them, and saw Lady Isabel standing at the hall window. Yes, she was standing and looking still, brooding over her fancied wrongs. "'Who is that Miss Hare?' he demanded in a cynical tone. "'They appear to have a pretty good understanding together. Twice this evening I have met them enjoying a private walk and a private confab.' "'What did you say?' sharply and haughtily returned Lady Isabel. "'Nay, I did not mean to offend you,' was the answer, for he knew that she heard his words distinctly in spite of her question. "'I spoke of Monsieur Votremari.' End of chapter 22, part 2